Welcome to the Melrose Place cast. My name is Tej. I'm a Melrose Place super fan going back decades, and I'm here to convince my friend Mary that this show counts as high art for the generations worthy of literary praise. And I'm Mary, and I'm here to convince my friend Tej that it's a trashy soap opera, and that's okay. Join us on our very, very long journey from season one, episode one, pilot, to season seven, episode 35, Asses to Ashes. Oh, good news, Mary. There's the reboot season that we get to watch as well. What? And Models Inc., the spinoff. There's a spinoff. And we should probably review Beverly Hills 90210 when that's all done. Wasn't that on before this? Why would we do. Hello, and welcome to the Melrose Place cast. This week, we're talking about season one, episode 27 The Test. I'm Mary. No, false. This week we're talking about AIDS. <laughs> this is the very special episode on AIDS. It's and I'm Tej. Very special. Yeah. <laughs> Mary again, no Rhonda, no Jane, no Michael. Oh my God, I didn't even notice no Jane and no Michael. I noticed no Rhonda. Yeah. Wanted to see her fire carry. Like, <laughs> I don't oh, think I get to see that. <laughs> yeah, we're due for that. Oh, yeah, no Michael, no Jane again. Yeah. Well, and yet, and yet, the show manages to be high art for the generations. Oh, wow. I'm so surprised you've come to that conclusion. You know, there were, there were, there's, there's three big points to hit about this. There's first, there's the, uh, you know, the, the very high art phrase, uh, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> there's um, the weight. And then, of course, the, uh, the classic, we ain't in no sorority here. Those are the points I'm going to be making. Oh, God. Well, we'll, we'll cover some similar ground, maybe. <laughs> well, there's only two storylines. No, there was three. Billy was the third storyline, but who cares? Oh, what a story it was. Oh. <laughs> Billy. Well, well can, you can I get started with my first high art point? Please. I, I hope that it works this time. I would like... <laughs> I would like to talk about my first point. It's not me. It's you. It's you. You did this. So we open on Melrose Place to Jake and Joe having just had sexual relations in Jake's apartment now. And his phone rings as the answering machine picks it up. I forgot this part of reality. Everyone around you can hear the voicemail as it's being left. Yeah. 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 Don't miss that. I don't miss that one bit. But (laughs) it's Perry. And Joe is like, who's Perry? And Jake's like, she's nobody. And Joe's like, four different times, who's Perry? And finally she says, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. Who's Perry? I'm like, calm down. You you know who he is. <laughs> so then there, Jake and Joe are at the, he says she was an old girlfriend. They're at the bike shop, it's late. And Jake's talking about how great business is. And someone's knocking on the door. And Jake, the businessman, just yells, we're closed. <laughs> But indeed, it's Perry. She's come back as, um, I remember this storyline from the the two times I watched the show before. And Perry reveals that she cleaned herself up from drugs, but it turns out she has HIV AIDS, probably from sharing needles, and that Jake should go get tested, which, yeah, yeah, that's the correct thing to do. Uh-huh. When, when, when Jake gets, so obviously this, this weighs heavily on Jake. And when Joe sees him again, she says... Oh, please tell me you don't have another kid you didn't know about. 
that did it, laugh. That was funny. <laughs> it reminded me of the the cinematic masterpiece of burlesque when um, one of the one of the dancers is throwing up in the bathroom, and Cher says, "Oh, tell me you don't have the flu." And then the the woman kind of shakes her head sadly, no, and holds her stomach. And Cher says, "Oh, tell me you have the flu." <laughs> it was like that. Joe's gonna be wishing Jake just had another uh, kid that he's not caring for. But in in reality, he eventually tells her, and he, you know, Jake goes through a long debate about whether or not to tell her. But he sees Perry, and there were this is the high art point. Mm-hmm. Jake sees her again and is accusing towards her. Right. Like you could have given me AIDS, which, yeah, yes, she could have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she gets angry back, which I also felt was realistic. And this was a high art point where she said, for all I know, you could have given it to me. And uh, nobody likes hearing that at all, including including Jake. But Perry correctly said, look, I did my part. I warned you. I didn't have she didn't have to do that. No. Now go get tested and get off my lawn, basically. Um, so it was the, the kind of the finger pointing and the blaming it, even the possibility that Jake could have contracted HIV um, either before or after or with Perry. And that just struck me as a realistic reaction that I have seen from people. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. I think, uh, you know, it, the show goes on and there's more about the testing and stuff. But I think up to that point, I thought it was not an unrealistic sort of portrayal of how two people might interact in that situation. I mean, it's it's inherently awkward because they're exes. And then on top of it, you have one of them has AIDS. Like that's, yeah. I can see why they're tense. <laughs> and, you know, it's important to remember, in uh, this is 1993. Yeah. AIDS was was still perceived as just an outright death sentence. Oh, yeah. There, there were, there, there, I mean, later on, the, a doctor says there are things you can do to prolong your life. Now there are things, I mean, you can you can defeat AIDS. You'll still always have HIV, but they can beat the AIDS back yeah. um, to the point that you're undetectable, you're non-transmissible. Like, we've made so much progress. And I think understanding how that would have landed in 1993 makes Jake and Joe's reaction a little bit where they consider, do we even want to know, um, make more sense. It wouldn't make sense today. Right. To just be like, yeah, I don't want to know. Um, Oh yeah. But not only back then was AIDS a death sentence. Remember Obamacare hadn't passed. So preexisting conditions were a thing. You would not be able to get health insurance ever again. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 That's my first high art point, Mary. What do you got? Anything trashy this week? Oh, I managed to dig a few things up. Uh, I'd like to talk first about Billy's job hunting escapades. Week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. This made me really annoyed. Uh, so Allison is back, as we saw at the end of last episode, and they're back at the apartment at one point, and Billy's showing her his newly fabricated resume, which he's a... Can I, can I jump in, Mary? Please. This is important. This is um, Allison is back and we confirmed that she's been, she only left two weeks ago. Yes. So the timeline that the show is sticking to is one week in real time is one episode in the show. So they're they're kind of holding to that, that there's not like a mysterious gap of time in between episodes. No, no. And again, I'd like to emphasize she moved to Seattle for two weeks before she came back. Just yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So Billy has fabricated a resume where he has applied his alleged creative writing skills and he's lied that he's gotten a master's in journalism from Columbia. He lies that he worked at D&D as a copywriter. He lies uh-huh. lists Allison as a reference and changes her job title to make her sound more important. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure this will never bite him in the ass later on. Sure, that seems realistic. And so this dumbass, we see him show up at the doors of this place called Escapade Magazine. And he's carrying a bouquet of flowers that he clearly got from a gas station. And he lies to the receptionist that he's got a delivery for the editor, whose name is Nancy. Yeah, and- this was smart. I got. I have to give him credit for his way yeah. in. It was a bold risk. Ugh, bold, you bet. Uh, so the receptionist is like, yeah, okay, sure, leave him at the counter and I'll make sure she gets them. And Billy then realizes, like, oh, shit, I got to get in the office. So he pivots and he's like, oh, no, no, this is a singing delivery. I have to go in there. And the receptionist just lets him go. Like, okay, yeah, that, that's a great idea. Uh, Checks sure. up. Leave your shirt at the door. <laughs> just let, let him go. So he gets into Nancy's office and she asks who the flowers are from. And he says, me! And he hands her a resume. And she looks at it. And there's some tear sheets, he says, from the now defunct Melrose Penny Saver. Side note, if you're going to go to the trouble of lying all over your resume about your writing accomplishments... You don't think it's going to look a little suspicious that the only published writing samples you can include are from a bankrupt penny saver and you have a master's from Columbia? Okay, sure. That's plausible. Why not? Uh, But because this is a soap opera, instead of calling security and chewing out the receptionist for just letting some random guy into her office, Nancy is totally charmed. Maybe not so much by his credentials, but more by his abs, but okay. And... Billy's like, I just need a chance. He'll prove himself because, oh, he's a poor white guy. He's never gotten enough chances. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, I'll read your column. And if I like it, I'll call your references. And then maybe we'll hire you. But she gives him back the flowers because of her journalistic ethics. So it's all okay. And then she tells Yeah, make a note that she's taking a strong ethical stand right at this moment. (laughs) And this dope, he's smiling and he trots out of there like a big doofus. And all I wrote was like, this is not how the world works, except for on soap operas. Like, if you tried this in real life, especially nowadays, like, security would, like, jump you in a hallway. They would think you're there to kill somebody or something. Like, no, you don't just, no, you're going to get caught. There is no way, especially in this day and age. Maybe in 1993, you could have pulled this off for a little while, but People have LinkedIn profiles now. They know how to Google the phone number of a college and ask if you went there. Like, this is so hard. Anyway, it was annoying. And I also don't like Billy. So that didn't help matters. Do you know, did you see Billy's boss, Cameron? Oh, yeah. I like Cameron. Super gay. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I love the moment when so he's trying to get to know Billy. And he's asking about where he went to school. And Billy's lying. And he goes, oh, I went to Columbia. And, Cameron's like, oh, I graduated there two years before you. It's weird that I never saw you. And Billy's like, oh, it's a big school. And Cameron goes, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, get it. (laughs) Yeah, Billy's in trouble. Billy's in trouble in more ways than one. Are you going to talk about what happens with with Nancy later? Can we discuss it We can talk about it now, sure. Okay, so later, Nancy the boss. Oh, my God. She's got some... Andrew Cuomo energy about her because she calls Billy in. She reveals herself to be a Cuomo sexual. That's what we're saying. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. She says, okay, listen to this setup, right? So remember, this is pre Me Too. I don't even think that Demi Moore movie about sexual harassment came out yet. But (laughs) the boss wants to hit on Billy. 
and she needs to find a way to have plausible deniability. I, I was impressed with what she came yeah. up with. She said, Billy, I have to ask you a question. I need your advice. I was at the gym yesterday. You know, I work out five times a week. <laughs> and I was on a Stairmaster and I saw someone. I, you know, Billy, I thought I saw you. Actually, I thought it was you on the Stairmaster next to me. Okay, we're doing all right so far. And then she's like, and I just, I really wanted to say hi. I was so attracted to him. Did I mention that he looks just <laughs> like you? Thought it was you. Anyway, I was too shy because I didn't know how we'd react. How would you react to a woman like me? Would you, would you find me attractive? <laughs> would you, would you loosen up these buttons? You know, and it, it's clear like halfway through that Billy should realize what's oh, happening. Yeah. And I believe they intended for us to think that Billy knew what was happening. But Andrew Shue stands there with the same dumbass look on his face the whole scene. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look like he got it. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, but he had a he had a hit it out of there because he was about to be sexually harassed by his boss. And instead he needed to go be sexually harassed by his other boss, Cameron. <laughs> I I I think I think Billy is in a bad workplace. I think so too. I I yeah, this I kind of forgot about Nancy and I mean, there's more to come with Nancy as the week, as the weeks go on, but yeah, she's, she's a, she's a lady who's knows what she wants. And apparently the journalistic ethics only apply to certain things. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Mainly they apply to Billy's app. I mean, that's all he's there for, I guess. All right. Well, I would like to make my, my oh, second high no, please, point. Yes. Yes. And uh, look, I'm, it's it's Jake again. <laughs> so the the AIDS scare storyline really took up the the bulk of yeah. the episode, and I, I thought they did it well. But this next, my next point was the weight. Yeah, because again, it was 1993, and Jake is sitting at Shooters, and he's worried he has AIDS. And oh, who happens to be coming in? Matt. Aw, screen of time. course, because. <laughs> AIDS, gay, Matt. And um, they, I noticed they made a point of working in that Matt just happened to be there. Jake didn't ask him to come, which I found interesting. But I think they were already being sensitive to like how weird it was to just say, oh, Matt's going to hang out with Jake now. <laughs> At least it tried to but, make it feel a little organic that way. Like, I would have believed it more if Jake was like, who knows about AIDS? Matt, the guy who randomly starts talking about his friends with HIV and AIDS when he's putting up posters for puppy. <laughs> That's who you call. But whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Rhonda said, What what would what what did Jane ever do to deserve that that miscarriage? Did she have the miscarriage yet? Yeah. And Matt's like, I don't know, it's just like my friends with AIDS. <laughs> oh, first half of season uh, one. Anyway. Jake, Jake asked Matt, I got to ask you a question. Have you ever been tested for AIDS? And Matt immediately, his face goes serious. And he just says, yes. And then, then we're in the conversation. Matt reveals that he had a lover, which I'm interpreting as a hookup, not a, not a romantic boyfriend, because he said he became sick and died, but I never called. I skipped the funeral because I was in denial and I, I didn't want to get tested or, or whatever. So we're, we're having that whole thing. Jake from there takes Joe out to the place where she throws her prescriptions over the edge and tells her what happened with Perry. And Jake says plainly, I may have given you AIDS, mm. which is weird. So they go to get tested, but this was, this was the, the real life part. 
back then, they, now we have rapid testing for HIV, right? Like you, you do the little mouth swab and you get the results in 15 minutes. And let me say, that was actually 15, 20 years ago that I remember that. I don't know what they're doing now, but now, or back in 1993, they drew blood and they sent it to a lab and they told you to come back in a week. And that's it. And that the way both Jake and Joe handled the, the weight, I thought was very realistic. They tried not to think about it, but let me tell you, as someone who's waded through the weight, you, you can't, you cannot focus on anything else. So you just, your mind goes to all the darkest places and, you know, Jake is having nightmares about getting a positive test result. Joe is trying to, to not worry about it. They're both getting very nihilistic. We learned that Joe's mother died by suicide at the age of 30. Joe thought she never lived past 30. Out of this, if you remember back during a Melrose Place Christmas, Joe said, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do anything romantic during the holidays. People just say things that they don't normally mean. Oh, yeah. And now Jake and Joe said, I love you to each other under the stress of the weight. So the weight really, really gets you. But the other thing I remember, HIV and AIDS was seen as such a death sentence that they would not give you the results any other way than in person. You had to go back, even if it meant you did not get your test results. Yeah. Because they were so worried about the suicide risk if people tested positive. Oh, yeah. So I thought they did a fantastic job portraying the weight. It is not pleasant. <laughs> it's scary. And again, you know, Jake and Joe, they just went to the darkest places. Yeah, I, I would agree, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's a little... It's a little soapy in the sense that they end up at the scenic overlook like they always do when there's like some sort of melodramatic speech to be made. But I didn't, yeah, their their emotional reactions seemed fair enough to me. And it seemed like true to human nature. Yeah, the waiting sucks. You you know what did not seem like a realistic emotional Hmm. reaction? Obviously, Jake and Joe both tested negative, right? So the storyline can fit neatly into one episode. But Jake went back to see Perry one last time and tells her, I tested negative. And she says, great. Did you come to gloat? <laughs> and I was like, you weren't supposed to be rooting for a positive <laughs> test result there, Perry. Like, that was weird. That was a little weird. It was. I thought it was a nice little scene. I don't know how realistic it was, really, but... It was a nice little button on the episode. And I do think I've said in the past, I think Jake is at heart a pretty good person. I think he he's sometimes a dope in the moment, but it seems like if he stops and reflects, he usually does the right thing by other people, I, I think, compared to some of the other characters. And so I could imagine him going and like trying to clear the air with her, like doing a little mm-hmm. a little soapy maybe that they ended up hugging and stuff yeah but i don't know i wrote oh it feels nice <laughs> but i saw that so i guess i'll let it happen it's all right <laughs> but do you know also this was at a time you know hiv and aids really kind of became a global pandemic right at the end of the 70s and it just ripped through the gay community and the yeah. age just like tore through people who are 10 years older than me, they, they talk about what it was like and how many of their friends that they lost. Yeah. And Oh, it's just heartbreaking. And at the time Reagan was president and my understanding for six or seven years, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even refer to the disease by name publicly. He wouldn't talk about it. There was such a squishiness. It was perceived as, um, you know, what they deserved. Yep. They being yep. gay people. Um, 
And what Melrose Place was trying to do, I think, in this episode was to was to say it's it's not just a gay person's disease. Um, now, throwing Matt in the mix, I, I think, undercut the point they were making. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, society started to take HIV and AIDS much more seriously when it was no longer just gay people. And this was part of Melrose Place was doing their part in making society be aware that um, essentially that suburban people are suburban straight people are at risk. Oh, sure. No. And I guess when you put it that way, too, it's probably good that they showed him hugging Perry, because I I remember a time when it was like, oh, God, you can just look at someone the wrong way and you're going to get AIDS. Like people didn't understand for some reason, how things work. I don't know why that was so mysterious. But uh, no, I think that was good. And I think it did. I think the humanity of the people in this came across well. I think, like we've said, I think their reactions were realistic. I think Perry's behavior was pretty realistic. I mean, it's, again, a little soapy, but that's that's her job on the soap opera. That's what we saw her do last time, that she's kind of melodramatic and high strung. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty well done, all things considered, especially for 1993. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Mary, I, let's 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 wrap up Jake and Joe and AIDS this half. <laughs> Did you have any trashy points about it that we haven't no, made yet? No, I. I you're, you're leaving this one alone. I left this one alone. Well, <laughs> like I said, I do. I think it was not badly done. I, I mean, it's. It's got its little soapy elements, but I didn't feel they were out of place or uh, not of the yeah. telling a story in a fairly realistic way. So good on you. did a good job. All right. Well, Mary, uh, let's take a break from discussing this pandemic of AIDS to living through the current pandemic of coronavirus and come uh, back. What in a, a time bit. to be alive. <laughs> Mary, do you remember that fateful day in the early 90s when you learned that Nintendo had been upgraded to Super Nintendo? Oh, boy, do I ever. Oh, the graphics got better. The games got smarter. The buttons multiplied. Everything changed for children of the 80s when Nintendo became Super Nintendo. And we have great news from our sponsor this week, Mary. Thanks to a diffused fear of AIDS due to a combination of drugs and, and other treatments, there's now a new drug-resistant strain of gonorrhea that is available. Super Gonorrhea, oh our sponsor this week. <laughs> the, the CDC currently says that little now stands between us and untreatable gonorrhea. As the pandemic ends, many have been predicting a wild time is coming. A new take on the roaring 20s, if you will, as all of us have been cooped up for way too long, socially isolating, not involved in romantic trysts. And now you can throw that concern over a cliff and get you some of that sweet, sweet super gonorrhea, because let me tell you, it is coming. (laughs) Look, HIV and AIDS... They're not gone. They're still there, but they're not as deadly as they once were, and we can beat them back. And now, with pre-existing conditions covered, as long as you keep access to health insurance, you're going to be okay. But gonorrhea, it's the new STD in town. Available in throat, vaginal, or rectum. (laughs) 
Christians. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so many options. So many options. <laughs> it's HIV and AIDS was the STD of the eighties and nineties. We had a break. But in the 20s, it is super good gonorrhea that's going to be on everyone's lips. Oh, my God. <laughs> so get out your phone. Go to the app store. You're going to type in promo code Tinder. <laughs> oh, boy. And when it's your turn, it's your turn. It's not going away. That's the thing. Mary, did you know that every year there are over 820,000 cases of gonorrhea in the United States? I did not know that. And almost 250,000 of them are drug resistant, meaning we, we, we've, we're finding a new incurable STD, which comes with its own burning sensation when you pee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes painful or swollen testicles for people who have those. Okay. Okay. And a urethral discharge that comes in either white, yellow, or green. It's so customizable. So, <laughs> so while well, yes, this episode of Melrose Place was focused on HIV and AIDS, there's something new just for our generation. <laughs> Gonorrhea's been upgraded. <laughs> so if you're thinking... The condoms aren't necessary anymore. You are wrong. Super gonorrhea. Wow. I this this is promo code Tinder. <laughs> I never thought we'd land super gonorrhea as a sponsor. I mean, this is a surprise <laughs> on so many levels. Um and you know what's great about having super gonorrhea as a sponsor? <laughs> it sticks with us forever. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, I get it, though. Like, when you're young and you're hip, like, you don't want the same STDs that your mom or your grandpa were getting. <laughs> you want, like, a new twist on an old favorite. And, boy, super gonorrhea sounds like it'll be just that. <laughs> it's the STD of the corona generation. Listen, Dan Savage on his podcast, he's a fellow podcaster. I think he has a roughly similar audience as we do. Um, he talks about this a lot because there's there's HIV prevention drugs now too, Travada and PrEP and things like that. Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of people kind of abandon safe sex practices because they, they are on PrEP. But the super gonorrhea is a real problem. That yellow discharge <laughs> is not your friend. This- Promo code Tinder. <laughs> I mean, I guess at the heart of it, I- I'm not totally sure if that <laughs> we should be pro or anti super gonorrhea based on this ad. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> the- <laughs> it also <laughs> what what <laughs> what this episode did make me think about was Dan Savage always talking about that that. Um, there's a whole generation of people who are are really feeling, as Joe said, I didn't think we needed a condom because I was on birth control. Oh. And it is true. Children are, are a real damaging STD. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they are. They're right? a long-term, a long-term <laughs> long STD that requires college tuition. Um, oh, that's just- 
but, end. I mean, there's years before that. But I, I just thought, you know, we've got this platform. We've got people that are eager to hear who our sponsors were. And I thought uh, <laughs> talking about safe sex was a good idea. <laughs> it is our one of our many duties to educate and enlighten. And I certainly feel enlightened. <laughs> White, yellow, or green. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? That's great. Because this is an era where... You know, people are used to going online and having lots of options and picking from different selections. Yeah. Oral, oral, anal, or vaginal. Yeah, I, you can you can do it. That gonorrhea goes anywhere. It goes anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> I think we have to stop. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we are back for the second half of season one, episode 27, The Test, where we are not going to discuss HIV and AIDS at all. I'm Teej. <laughs> I'm Mary. <laughs> and, and, let's just get into it. Mary, <laughs> did you have a trashy point again? Oh, God, do I ever. Uh, I would like to talk about Allison trying to brown nose Amanda. <laughs> uh, I forgot about this. I forgot about how satisfying it is. So... A little backstory. Allison left for two weeks and moved back from Seattle again. By the uh, way, that two weeks should have been the length of her two-week notice, which she did not leave. She did not. Uh, but she gets hired back at D&D for reasons that are unclear to me. And one morning, she, so she's been told she can't just have her old job back, although she clearly expects to just have her old job back. And Amanda has been put in charge of hiring the new person. Uh, that was the moment when Lucy said, oh, I put someone else in charge of hiring. And I was like, Amanda! Yes! <laughs> Finally. Uh, so Allison has been hired back, but she's back basically as like a receptionist on the phones, like where she started. Uh, if I were her, I'd be glad I have a job at all because she frankly does not deserve to be hired back. But okay. Uh, so one morning. But, but she was not glad. Do you know what she said? Oh, I know what she said, but you can she, tell me. She came back to Billy and invented... I've been demoted. And I was like, bitch, you quit with no notice. You've no, not been demoted. No notice. And your boss and coworkers tried to tell you it's a bad idea to quit. Don't do this. And you still did it. So yeah. I don't have a lot of empathy for that. So no, she did arrogantly when, when she went to talk to Amanda after she found out Amanda was the hiring manager. And Amanda said, oh, I'm going to interview a lot of people. And Allison, I don't know, was like, well, maybe I can make your life easier. I can start today. oh allison oh my yeah so anyway so that she's been hired back and one morning she is scurrying after amanda and she starts laying it on really thick and she says i just want you to how fond i've always been of you i mean (laughs) from the first day we started working together i've always admired and looked up to you as both a friend and a mentor and I hope things work out because I really look forward to learning from you. And I know together we can continue to make a really great team. And Amanda smiles. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She wound up just like a snake coiling. It is. And she goes, oh, how sweet. And I want you to know that whoever I ultimately decide to hire for this position, I hope I can continue to be an inspiration to you. Yes. <laughs> 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 And then she goes on because she's not done. And she goes, my 930 interview will be here soon. Could you get some coffee? Have him wait. I'll be with him as soon as I can. And then she smiles 
her biggest smile and it's so real allison fake smiles back because she has to but the second amanda turns and walks away they cut back to allison and she's making this face that i can only describe as like a disgusted frankenstein monster's face of rage she is so mad and this was delightful and so beautifully soap opera e just mwah, chef's kiss and i think like we're supposed to empathize with allison in this moment but if it's not clear no i do not <laughs> <laughs> As big of a bitch as Amanda can be, and Amanda can be a big bitch, and Allison's been just as much of a bitch right back at her, whether we like to admit it or not. Because it was literally two weeks ago that Allison at that campfire told Amanda she has no friends of her own, that she's threatened by <laughs> that she's fake all the time. But Amanda was totally right when she clocked Allison and called her some ditzy, indecisive little Midwesterner nitwit who's so scared of her life that she's running off to Seattle with a guy she barely even knows. She was exactly right. Allison is is indecisive, and she is a twit. And watching her kiss up to Amanda to try to get her job, she's being so fake. So go, Amanda. Eat her alive. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) It was... You, you know, this, I know the Allison Amanda feuding goes on for for a couple of years, <laughs> but it, it still feels a little bit like Amanda is punching below her weight. Oh, sure. Sure. Like they don't seem on the same level, but again, that's because I know what Amanda becomes, but right now, Amanda, she's just starting to, uh, to, to grow into it, which leads perfectly to my, my next high art point of win and no sorority here. <laughs> Oh, do tell. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, Mary. So as you had, had said, Lucy, who I forgot played such a prominent role this first season. Yeah. I thought I, I thought she was, I remembered her as a couple episodes until Amanda showed up, but whatever. She had turned hiring over to Amanda. She said, Amanda, you're in charge of this, you know? And what, well, this was almost a higher point, but I, I didn't include it. Later, she changed her mind and took that away from Amanda. <laughs> Oh, I'll be talking about that. (laughs) Okay. But so Lucy called her in and just, you know, said, Amanda, I've decided. I I know I said you can make the decision, but I want Allison back. She works hard. She's good. I can't see any reason not to. And Amanda said, well, maybe because I don't get along with her, (laughs) which is not how honest you should be with your boss. But that moment that I don't get along with her, so therefore I shouldn't hire her, reminded me so much of when people first find themselves in a position when they can start to hire people because it often seems like their number one criteria is, am I going to like to hang out with this person? And I've seen it when people, um, when I was a hall director, when people were selecting their next group of RAs, they were picking who do they want to be with. I've seen it with new, um, I shouldn't be too revealing about my job, should I? But people in, in hiring positions, just generally, when they kind of first land into it, they, their initial instinct, myself included, was, who's cool? Who do I like? Who do I want to spend a lot of time with? And, you know, it takes a little while to learn, like, that's not the metric. I can hate every single mother here. I, we just need to get the jobs done. Um, but but Lucy really kind of drilled that point to Amanda. We ain't in no, you're not in a sorority. We're hiring Amanda or Allison. And then, and then doesn't wait for Amanda to confirm. She just calls Allison into the room and says, Allison, great news. Amanda has made a decision. <laughs> and I will rest my point. But I thought just the, the, the 
yanking that football away from Amanda, first of all, and then making Amanda say, yes, I've decided to hire you, Allison. It was a, it was a beautiful moment. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to piggyback, if I may, into my final point, uh, because... Uh, no, don't do that. <laughs> okay, yes, you may. Thank you. Uh, Lucy is a terrible boss. And what? Boss. And if this happened in real life at a place with an HR department, she would be hauled in there so fast for this entire situation because it is ludicrous. So, what? what? Wait, you don't say that about Nancy Downer? Oh, Nancy's also terrible. <laughs> but we haven't seen her at her worst yet. Lucy is a complete dunderhead at this point. Uh, so, as you described, after Allison has been back for two days, two days, she's been back in the office, Lucy calls Amanda in. And she says, well, I know I told you you could be in charge of hiring this, but, quote, I just can't stand the sight of seeing poor Allison kill herself at the phones every day when, as far as I can tell, there's no good reason to why we shouldn't give her her old job back. And as you pointed out, Amanda says, well, we don't get along. And she says, oh, we're not in a sorority. This is an ad agency. Solve your personal problems and learn to function. And Amanda glares. And then Allison comes in. And Amanda, before Allison gets in, says, are you saying I have to hire her? And Lucy, who is being very self-righteous, goes, Amanda, Allison is smart. She works hard. She knows the company. Professionally, I can't think of a single reason not to bring her back. I will respond to that momentarily, but let me continue. Amanda glares. Allison comes in. Amanda sucks it up and freezes her face and plays it cool and says, oh, yeah, we're hiring you back. But let's get one thing clear. In the past, we let friendship get in the way of our professional relationship. Let's not make that same mistake twice. So at least... We Al, Amanda's in there. Like she's not gone. She's just shut off for a moment to get through this. And Amanda turns and glares one more time as she leaves. So number one, Lucy has totally undercut any authority she has by acting so stupidly because she spent the first part of this episode when Allison walked in the first time back into the agency with no appointment while Lucy's on the phone. And she goes, what the hell are you doing here? Which was the correct thing to say to Allison. Two, she has now undercut her other employee's authority, who she had given the responsibility of hiring this position. She has taken that away for no reason that has anything to do with Amanda or her job performance. Amanda has done nothing wrong in this situation. She has her character flaws, but by all accounts throughout this show, they talk about how her work is excellent, her ambition and drive have been completely unquestionable, and she's loyal to the company. She didn't quit with no notice, run away for two weeks to Seattle, and then show up again whining about wanting her job back. Okay, so that's the first problem. Second, again, Allison has been back for literally two days. She has been back for two days. She's been on the phone for two days. She deserves to be in the doghouse still because she, again, quit her job with no notice, despite her boss, Lucy, telling her not to do it. And then she has the audacity to come back and just assumes mm -hmm. this job is still hers if it's available. And then she said, Allison says, I'll do anything to come back and earn my job. And Lucy caves in two days? Two days. Third, Lucy can't think of a single reason not to give her her old job back? Well, here's one. As you pointed out, Allison keeps referring to this, that she got a demotion. And I'm like, no, you quit your job. Like, you didn't get demoted. And finally, Lucy scolds Amanda that D&D is a business and not a sorority. But what's more business-like, holding somebody accountable for their bad decisions and making them deal with the consequences, or being this namby-pamby, indecisive person who hires somebody back and gives them everything they want after two days and they didn't have to earn anything? It doesn't make any sense. Lucy, oh. Literally, I'm sorry, I'm almost done. Two days ago, Lucy literally told 
Allison, you thought you'd waltz in here and get your job back? And she just gave her her job back. <laughs> this is insane. Okay. So, a couple things. <laughs> I know where you work. <laughs> you clearly have the frustration that people are not held accountable there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Number two. I used to work there, too. I wonder, what do you think would happen if, say, on Monday, I just walked down into the president's office and it was like, hey, great news. Uh, I'm going to be back now. Yeah, I'm back. Sign me up. I'll answer the phones to prove it, but don't let that happen for more than two days. Here's here's the, the part that really upset me is the way Lucy was like, I can't stand to see Allison killing herself on the phones anymore. I want to see the wage scale that Lucy has set up that would suggest being a receptionist is harder than whatever the fuck Allison was doing. Because I guarantee you, she plans to pay Allison more for the job that she doesn't describe as killing herself, further undercutting the hard work and labor of people. Because if, if being a receptionist is so hard, it should be paid more. Yes, absolutely. Yes, Lucy. So why don't you just get out of here? But the other thing that I noticed... <laughs> That look back, you mentioned it after Amanda was forced to hire Allison. And when she turned back and looked at Lucy, did you did you see the code in her eyes? She looked mad. Yeah. Do you know what I heard her saying with those eyes was, <laughs> bitch, I will have your job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Amanda is not okay with what just happened no. here. And for the record, she shouldn't be because that was shitty. It was real shitty. Speaking of shitty and Amanda Woodward, <laughs> she there were two things about Billy, she said to Allison, that I would like to draw attention to, because I did not like either one of them. <laughs> oh, tell me more. <laughs> first, uh, when Allison first comes back and is being sugary sweet to Amanda, Amanda says, so are you and Billy back together? And I was like, in what world? They were never together. Why are the writers trying to get us to pretend that like, like that didn't, they were never together. <laughs> They can't be back together. Why would Amanda think they're back together? Why would Allison not say, we're never together? What the hell are you talking about? We only had a pretend kid. It was actually Dawn. <laughs> oh, I forgot about little, what was his name? Mark? Martin, Marvin, whatever. <laughs> we'll call him Marvin. He's never around. And then the second, <laughs> the second thing, after she had to hire Amanda back, they're again talking about Billy. Because Allison said, I think you're jealous about me being with, around Billy again or whatever. Yeah. And Amanda said, oh, Allison, just because Billy and I aren't living together doesn't mean we aren't still seeing each other. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a lie. Billy wants something to do with Amanda right now. <laughs> but Amanda is, she, ooh, she's playing a game. Amanda's starting to come out. You can see it. Oh, it is. It's, it's glorious. It's beautiful. But I didn't like it because it was mean. And it made Allison just question herself and she doesn't need that stress she's just taking back a job she quit <laughs> she had to spend two whole days doing another job they inexplicably hired her back to do <laughs> no it was oh god you again i was not okay with any of that <laughs> i get why it happened because this is a soap opera and they have to have conflict but whoo maddening <sighs> Well, Mary, I have to say, when I saw the test as the title, I, it didn't even jump out to me. I knew that AIDS episode was coming up this season, uh, but it, it wasn't until I, I heard Perry's name that I was like, 
oh, this is it. So again, although do you, I, something else occurred to me, Mary, we've talked a time or two about how disconnected the episode titles are from the episode contents. Yes. We discuss it. It often makes no sense. There was one about the house of God. There was I no still church. I don't know what that one was about. <laughs> uh, Jake versus Jake when there was no fight. <laughs> the, the, the whole truth, which I don't even know what that was. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> if, if we, we discussed it with our friends Nan and Christopher, too, in the, in the two episodes ago in the, in the big crossover that everybody's been talking yeah, about. Yeah. But something occurred to me. In 1993, nobody saw the episode titles. <laughs> well, you might have. I think they were in like TV Guide or something. Like if you were one of those people that got a TV Guide. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it mattered. It probably didn't. That's fair. I think that's fair. I feel like, too, they were either watching Melrose or they weren't. Like no one was paging through TV Guide going, let me see the description of this episode. <laughs> see if I'll tune in or not. <laughs> What do you think's happening with Rhonda this week? God, I wonder. I hope that she got to fire Carrie. I mean, that's all I really want for her. Um, you think they're still working on the house over there? I don't know, but Rhonda's time is ticking. They, they just skipped a whole episode for uh, her. And we're so close to the end, too. How many are there in this season now? Is it 30? Uh, it ends at 32. God, that's only like five more now for Rhonda. Yeah, we're gonna have to have like a wake or something. Matt's gonna need to learn how to out himself. It might do him some good. <laughs> you know, some of his t-shirts will do it though. <laughs> he can go out and get some hugs. Mary, did you have any highlights that we haven't? I had discussed a couple yet? quick little things. So, in the very opening scene, Joe and Jake are in bed fooling around, and she says, "I think I like it better in the morning." And Jake says, "Why?" And she says. Because it gets my day started with a bang. <laughs> like, oh, it's so cheesy. Uh, I like when Amanda told Allison that the only thing Allison or Billy can commit to another person is to share the rent. <laughs> that was fun. That was uh, I liked when Jake, uh, so Joe had asked and joked, oh, do you have another kid you don't know about when he went to see Perry? And Jake fibs and says, oh, no, Perry's just been having some hard times and needed money. And Joe replies, well, then I guess she doesn't know you too well, does she? <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny um oh again when we talked about billy meeting cameron i forgot about cameron i look forward to seeing a little more of him in the coming weeks um oh oh we... i can't i can't remember if his character is actually gay but he's super gay super See, that's how gay. i read it too but i trust your judgment even more than mine on that matter uh Oh, when we see Jake at Perry's apartment at the end, in the background at this one point, there's this painting that has splotches of colors. And for a second, I thought it was the sex butt painting from earlier this season. But I don't think it actually was because they zoomed out later and there were no butts on it. Uh, and last, Nancy tells Billy that the receptionist buzzed, her in, buzzed him in the other day because she thought he was a stripper. That should also be a red flag as a new employee. Though your boss tells you, we only let you in because we thought you were a stripper. <laughs> they have some HR violations going on at Escapade, which I guess, given the name is Escapade, is not a surprise. <laughs> uh, you know, 
now that I think about it, I wonder if there's an HR professional ever in the series because they would have been busy. <laughs> oh God, at D and D, they need like a department of like twenty people to manage it all. It's <laughs> a lot going on there. Or the hospital too. Once that gets going, oof. Man, they're the unsung heroes. They're, we don't get to see them. I had I had just two highlights that I didn't already <laughs> hit. My one thing before Nancy just aggressively hit on Billy, she uh, was like, "Oh, by the way, uh, who uh, who'd you give those flowers to?" Because the first sign after Billy first showed up with them, she said, "You take these back to your girlfriend." And I wonder if oh. that was her initial attempt at being like, "You you you got a girlfriend? Oh. You're single?" But when she specifically said. Who'd you give my flowers to? She was feeling him out. She had checked his ring finger, wanted to know if he would say he had a girlfriend, and he did not. So she went oh. in. Billy, Billy, what would you think if you saw me on the Stairmaster in my workout clothes? Would you be attracted to me? <laughs> and then the other thing, uh, it, it is a well-known point that I have a position on the institution of marriage. I think we've covered Once it a or time twice. or two on this very <laughs> podcast. But I noticed Joe said, you know, I just never really worried about AIDS. I suppose it's one of the fringe benefits of being married. (laughs) (laughs) How naive. Oh, Joe. It was a different time. (laughs) Well, Mary, listen, I hope all of our our very good uh, friends and listeners will email us at melroseplacecast at gmail. Yes, I hope they do, too. We always appreciate feedback or helpful hints or or anything. I mean, we're very excited. Yeah. To- <laughs> but, but speak for yourself. Enough with the emails about one fact I got wrong eight <laughs> times. Oh, have we been getting those? No, just the one. But it, it still burns. Well, I don't have a witty comeback. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's wrap up. Mary, this has been a delightful week. Yes, yes. I, I enjoyed this episode. Uh, I appreciate that the show continues to improve in quality. And I know we're not quite into full crazy territory yet, but I look forward to it. We're in high drama territory. Yeah, yeah we sure, crossed though. the threshold. Yeah, I agree. Do you know what else? If I could stop one more, yeah. one more point. I, Lucy being like, I don't understand why Allison can't come back. We've established... This week, that one week in the show is one week in real life. (laughs) So Allison only got promoted six weeks ago. And then she quit two weeks ago. And in that month, she showed porn to a client. I can think of plenty of reasons not to hire that person back for a job that we were taking a risk on her anyway. She screwed it up. And then she walked away. I just had a flash forward in my mind to the cookie man. that that (laughs) Oh, God, I can't wait for the cookie thing. Uh, if our listener, if any, if we have inspired any listeners to just start the series and you're oh. hanging with us, when when oh gosh, when Amanda and Billy watch Allison oh. pitch cookies, just oh, oh it uh it makes your heart <laughs> drop. Honestly, if you've never watched the show before and you've made it this far in season one, please keep going because you've been through the worst of it. It's gonna get it just continues to get better and more entertaining. I mean, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Stick with it. Follow us through on Models, Inc. <laughs> Work backwards to Beverly Hills 90210. Bye. Bye, Mary. <laughs>
This is a public service announcement from the Mulholland Drive Department of Public Health. As many of us pass the anniversary of COVID-19 related social distancing and over a year of spending much of our time at home, the Mulholland Drive Department of Public Health would like to remind you of the importance of incorporating movement into your daily activities. Many have joked about packing on the pandemic poundage, but your health is no laughing matter. One way to get your steps in every day is to visit one of the many parks and scenic overlooks of the Mulholland Drive area and to get your trot on. However, we'd like to also remind you that if you're going to visit our green or brownish spaces, please, please remember to continue practicing social distancing measures and wearing a mask. The Mulholland Drive scenic overlook continues to see an unprecedented level of visitation related to people reciting dramatic monologues, tossing various prescription and over-the-counter pill bottles over the edge, and informing their current or former sexual partners that they may have given them AIDS. <laughs> In fact, sometimes there are so many people there delivering melodramatic news and staring <laughs> over the twinkling lights of Twinkletown that it might be hard to find a place to park between all the cycles and convertibles. It's important that with so many people around, you should remember to stay six feet apart and wear your mask. And again, if you're planning on chucking pills, we urge Use the convenient drug drop-off boxes installed along the edge of the fence line instead. Please help keep our local fauna from developing addictions to Prozac or expired Rolaids. So <laughs> if, you're going, if you're going to visit during these COVID times, get your steps in, get your monologue out, <laughs> keep your mask on, keep your pill bottles off the forest floor. <laughs> Very much for the Mulholland Drive Department of Public Health. You, you know, I, be, before I let you go, uh, I need to know, is the Mulholland Drive Center of Public Health or whatever, are they raking that forest floor? Because I heard that's causing wildfires. Um, we've been, t we were told by the previous presidential administration that we should be raking the forest as much as possible. Uh, and, you know, it's been great for uh, getting up the various uh, pine detriment, uh, a lot Again, a lot of pill bottles, a lot, more than we would like to see. Um, Robitussins and Dimetaps, um, some amoxicillin, a little bit of everything. I mean, we've even found oxygen machines chucked over the edge. Um, very any, any ventilators? Not, sadly, no. We could use those at the, at the department. Um, but really, all manner of healthcare-related detritus, we sweep up along with the pine cones. So if I wanted to get in my steps and deliver uh, just a, a monologue for the ages, but still do good in the world, could I just come with a rake? I mean, we'll take any help we can get. As we've talked about in the past, the Boy Scouts won't come and clean up that anymore because there's just too much to pick up. And they worry about the children also developing addictions to things like Rolaids and whatever else they find. So yes, if you're over the age of 18 and you're coming to the overlooks and you want to bring a rake, that's great. Uh, but again, please, if you're going to throw your medication, please try to restrain yourself. Or if you're going to bring your own rake and clean them up, I mean, I guess that's acceptable too. Mary, do you remember, you mentioned the Boy Scouts. <laughs> do you remember when President Trump went to the Boy Scout Jamboree and told a bunch of sex jokes? I forgot about that. <laughs> they should have the jamboree at Mulholland Drive, where the Boy Scouts, after they've been, 
been exposed to President Trump. Can that, now there's no reason they can't go looking for these prescription bottles and getting them away from the raccoons. That's true. People don't think about the raccoons. It also be helpful for some of the youngsters to hear some of those dramatic speeches so they learn more about things like practicing safe sex, uh, not throwing their pill bottles over the edge, and just wearing their seatbelt as they drive up the twisty canyon road to the Overlook. So, wait, seriously, how, how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> Man, I told you this, right? So it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re- the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then Mary, there's the, the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh God. How long? Yeah. And, and uh, Models Inc. has to be covered too. Wait, what the hell is Models Inc.? It's a two-season spinoff. Of what? What do they? Of, of Melrose Place from the lady from Dynasty was on it, I think. The lady from Dynasty, my God, this was like a whole industry. And I do think nine hundred two one zero to get to understand where this show came from is probably worth exploring. I I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then when Allison left, she went to Ellie McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how, do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, so we're in for all of it. Oh, God. 